Welcome to your Locked On Big Ten Football Podcast. We want to remind you that support of the Locked On Big Ten Football Podcast comes from Manscaped, number one in men's below the belt. Uh, grooming, probably seen them on Shark Tank. Uh, they've really got it all. They've got the precision engineered tools for you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Locked On at manscaped.com. 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped.com. Use the code Locked on. All right, here we go. Let's finally talk about Justin Fields as the starter. I think it took a, little, <laughs> took a little bit longer than we thought, Chris, but that is indeed the case. No great surprise there. Uh, what have you heard? Was it actually ever a competition? Or as you've said previously, it was really just about making sure that Justin Fields won over his teammates. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's the latter. I mean, it's... It, Look, he he got the majority of the snaps, and he's been you know earning the majority of the snaps. So the starter was named quite a while ago. It just was publicly named. Um, you know, it, it was pretty clear there really wasn't another option. And if you look at it, I, I went back and looked at it yesterday because you know Oklahoma also named Jalen Hurts, which we knew was going to happen. If you look at it, it's about the same time frame every year. So as we're getting into the week before the week of preparation, kind of around the, you know, what are we, like the 20th, you know, today. So around the 20th, the 22nd, wherever it falls, that this is when normally happens. You, you know, in rare cases, you see it named at a different time frame for different reasons. But there was, you know, we, we say it's taken a while. It, it's the same time frame that it always is for these um circumstances so uh no surprises i think the only maybe potential surprise would have been like in a case like miami where you know there was clearly nobody or or in other places where there's like you know um you know some people are going to be surprised with what auburn does because there legitimately is a race where no one's clearly wanted i think in this case with justin he was the only option and i think it just needed to play out in the proper time frame that they wanted to make it play out for the team. So, uh, Justin Fields, when you've broken him down before, um, I know a lot of coaches and analysts don't like this question, but um, we haven't seen much of him. Can you give me a comparison? Does he remind you of anyone? What's his skill set? What do you think of him? Well, there's really, uh, other than the high school tape, there's not much there. Um, so it's a to be determined. Um, he is a nice sized kid with good athletic ability. He's got an explosive arm. I mean, he can snap it and, you know, he can get it anywhere it needs to be. The key's going to be accuracy. Um, he's going to be how they use them in the pocket, outside the pocket. I think the run pass threat needs to be a part of his game, but I don't think it needs to be uh, a total reliance on it. I think the answer to how good he can be, which is ultimately what people want, is how much he can develop as a pocket guy. What I like is the combination of him and what I think Ryan Day can do with him in this offense, in that, you know, last year he had a pocket guy in Haskins, and now we have a guy that, can run run a little bit more outside the pocket stuff. So, uh, to be honest with you, no, there, there's not a definitive, yeah, this guy remind, 
not enough exposure to him. He just, you know, watching um, enough high school tapes to get a feel for him and just the very, very limited snaps in college in some of the practice. No, I think that that uh, evaluation of who he looks like and who he reminds me of, that's going to have to come later because there's just not enough there. In terms of the offense, what do you think they'll do with him? Because he is a world of difference from Haskins last year. Oh, I think they'll run some some boots and some half rolls. Uh, I think they'll work them in the pocket some. I think they're going to have some RPO looks to them. Um, I mean, I think all of that really suits his game well. I, I think that, look, he's an immensely talented guy. Uh, I've not spent any time with him. From what I understand, he's a worker. He'll learn, uh, and he'll get better and better. So I think he has a chance to be really good. But what you're going to see is a little bit more of, um, you know, he's a little bit leaner, a better passing skills than a Jalen Hurts, um, and probably more athletic, but not as powerful as Jalen Hurts in terms of a runner. But he can do, I think he can do a little bit more things quarterback-wise. So you got basically one guy that's going to be at Oklahoma that's on the end of his career that's played a lot of ball and one guy who hasn't played hardly anything. But um, and, and that's a comparison, but more of a contrast in styles. But I think what you're going to see, quite frankly, the reason why I brought it up is you're going to see a lot of the things that Alabama did with Jalen Hurts that they're going to do, that that, um, that Ohio State's going to do with Justin Fields. Some RPA stu- RPO stuff and some out-of-the-pocket stuff while mixing in some dropback stuff. Are you concerned at all that a school like Ohio State, because other schools that are on the rebuild or, or trying to, to come up, I can see still having some competition for starting spots, but they still got a, a competition at that right tackle spot. That concern you at all uh, that they haven't settled that yet? Yeah, it always concerns me. Uh, you know, when you get this late stages, what it simply means is it doesn't always mean that um, it's necessarily a problem. Sometimes it's just you're you're comfortable with a couple of guys, but you don't know which one to go with because one hasn't separated himself from the other. Where it's a problem in some cases where you. You're just searching for answers because nobody's been good enough. So whether it's, um, you know, right guard and LSU's got a left guard situation. I mean, you got a couple of those situations around the country. It, it's not all that surprising because it happens in a lot of places, but um, it's a little bit of a concern. I'd have more of a problem with it if it was a tackle. If I'm going to have a problem or question mark on offense, it'd probably be at one of the guard spots, quite frankly. Not center, not tackle. But um, I think it's something that's not going to have a significant negative effect towards it unless the production there is really lower than I anticipated to be. Your Locked on Big Ten football podcast continues. The Big Ten scheduling philosophy, we'll discuss that coming up. It's a little bit different than some uh, other big-time programs and other big-time conferences. Stay tuned. He's Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com. Check out that site, NFL College Recruiting Coverage. It's all right there. More after this on your Locked on Big Ten College Football Podcast.
March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. You are Locked On Big Ten Football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back. It is your Locked On Big Ten Football Podcast. He's Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. I'm Dave Hooker. We're going to get to uh, eligibility slash injury news out of Wisconsin, Illinois, and Purdue here momentarily. But first I want to talk about kind of the Big Ten scheduling philosophy um, because we're seeing a marquee game this weekend in the SEC, and that's going to be uh, Florida and Miami. But your thoughts on how the Big Ten uh, handles uh, scheduling, it's, it's a little bit different. Yeah, that's the one thing that people will look at it and either criticize college football for it or – I don't know, like embrace its uniqueness. And I guess you can go either way on it. But, you know, you get the criticisms from, you know, my conference better than your conference. Or my conference does this. I don't like what you do, yada, yada, yada. And there's there's differences for the most part. Um, the Big Ten plays kind of that, you know, ease into the season type of game. Um, maybe play opponents that are not as good. And they don't play that maybe that softer game prior to rivalry week that you see in the SEC, whereas the SEC, some of them play a big time game early and then kind of maybe have an open date at some point during the season. It's all about scheduling philosophies. Now there's some exceptions to it, of course. Um, for when you look at it traditionally, not, not only traditionally it's been kind of a, will play either a Division I-A school in the Big Ten or maybe a MAC school. If you look at it, there's some matchups that are you know, pretty good. Northwestern is playing Stanford, which I think it's one of the best matchups in week one in all of college football. In fact, if you look at the best matchups, and everybody's excited about week one, the best matchups, I mean, I would say Auburn-Oregon, People down south will may get excited about Georgia Vandy. Florida State fans will nervously wonder what they're going to do against Boise. I mean, you know, Houston, Oklahoma, the best, most competitive matchup in week one that is most intriguing is Northwestern Stanford. So that goes against the normal Big Ten philosophy of it. You know, Iowa, you know, will play Miami, and you'll have like some Mac schools that you'll play, and some of those games have jump up to bid them. Um, Michigan State's got Tulsa. Wisconsin's got South Florida. That's a better than advertised type game. Illinois's got Akron, and you know Indiana's got Ball State. Now Ohio State plays FAU. They get the the Fighting Lane Kiffins. Um, that that may sound a little bit better. You know, it's probably not as big of a game. Uh, now Maryland, new to relatively speaking to the Big Ten, had Texas for a couple of years in a row. This year they've kind of gone back to 
fit into the right philosophy for them. They play Howard in that first game, and Nebraska's at South Alabama, and Penn State's got Idaho, and Michigan's got uh, Middle Middle Tennessee. Now Purdue has a very underrated Nevada team, um, so that's a, that's a, but that is again just more of an interesting philosophical approach, which quite frankly is more along the lines of what I think people appreciate because they say, hey, you want to play that first week, get your feet wet, and then, you know, don't don't play the softer game. And that's where the Big Ten folks criticize the SEC folks for, hey, don't play the cream puff game before your open date because that's kind of like a, a half buy, so to, so, to speak, so to speak. But it's interesting <clears throat> how people approach it conference to conference and that's kind of the uniqueness and sometimes the critical aspects if you want to say so for college football i tell you what if i were in either conference as good as they both are and i'm not one to back down from a fight chris but um i think i'd be pretty easy on the non-conference schedule because i think you get beat up in both of these conferences throughout the season i think there's a cumulative effect of that uh-huh. Um, sure, maybe one marquee game, non-conference. I like what Alabama's been doing, even though Duke's a bit of a step down this year. But um, listen, I, I think if you go through one of those schedules, um, you win all your games, you're able to take it easy on some non-conference opponents, not play people the whole game, and you still have just one loss at the end of the year, I think you're in the college football playoff. So I, maybe I would be criticized for that as an athletic director. But I think that's how I'd approach it. Am I wrong? Well, no, I mean, you're not wrong. Now, the the other part of that is, you know, you the TV money's maybe going to be negligible, but but you get a lot of pressure from TV now to play one of those big games, you know, somebody right. in the league. Um, and you're getting a lot of money for that. So if you say, we're not doing it. If no one, like, for example, if we didn't have at least a couple of those games this week and next week, then we would be talking about college football in this respect. When we talk about the opening week, I mean, we'll do it here. We're going to break down every Big Ten team. But I don't know how many people are going to be overly excited about talking about, you know, Minnesota and South Dakota State or, you know, um, you know Ohio State against FAU. I mean, you know, we're going to be more interested in Northwestern Stanford. Um and the same thing, you know, in, in some of the other, I mean, the, the big games next week or the intriguing games are those type of games. It's a UCLA Cincinnati. It's, it's more so because I think there's some competitive games and then there's some games that stink. If all of them were, were lopsided type games, then it would be kind of like watching preseason football for a week. And therefore TV folks are saying, well, you know, that, that we're not, not giving as much money, we can't sell, um, you know, whatever, you know, uh, Wisconsin, South Florida, which is not bad actually, but Michigan uh, middle is not going to be as interesting as Northwestern Stanford, for example, just in the conference. So I think you have to deal with that. Um, and you also certainly your fans, you know, it affects your season tickets to some degree. If you, you look at your schedule and you look at it in advance, you know when you're going to play home and home, who's going to be on your schedule. If you got a stinky schedule, some places are having more and more difficulty selling out their stadiums. We're in a different world now. People are saying, screw this. I'm going to watch on my 70-inch screen, and we're going to have people over. And you know what? 
we, I may be a Buckeye fan, but, you know, we're going to sit there and watch, you know, Auburn, Oregon on TV and we'll watch, you know, our Buckeyes. You know what I mean? It's, people are saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. And that's why they're trying to put so much money into Wi-Fi in the stadiums. Cause I mean, you got kids today that won't even go to the games if they don't have Wi-Fi and they can't, they can't be on their phone the entire game. I mean, so I think that, that that's a bigger issue of getting fans engaged. There is no doubt that you get people excited if you're an LSU and now you're going to Texas this year, that's a good game for that Texas fan base. Um, I know this. Um, I've got season tickets that my brother has and he takes and because I, I watch all the games on TV. It, it, they're already people are already excited about next year's package because they get to see Texas at home in Tiger Stadium, which is a rare occurrence. And I think that is the case around the country. And I, now LSU doesn't have a fan base issue most of them do but even the ones that don't have it they want to see some of those big games if you play the weak games um uh, that's where you know the half empty seats and people say i'm not gonna go out in the heat the early part of the season sweat to watch so and so i'm gonna wait until we get in the conference play or games that 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 are more appealing to them so i think it's a it's a catch-22 and tough for athletic directors today. I, I don't know how you feel about it, Dave, but I think it's a bigger and bigger challenge for, for athletic directors to make it the uh, going to a game more of a thing now. Because when I grew up going to games, there was only you know, one game on TV, and I had a 7-inch black-and-white battery-operated TV, and I watched the game while I was in the you – know, tailgating and people say the heck with that i'm not going to games anymore I, I can watch you know 30 games if i want to on saturday i'm not gonna go out and deal with the crowd and i got a bathroom right here and i i think that athletic directors and and, and the chancellors and and the commissioners are having a tough time trying to figure out a way to make the in-game experience a better thing than it used to be no, I agree, and that's going to be an ongoing battle. I think uh, more fan-friendly stadiums have been a big part of that. I think that's part of the reason the SEC allowed uh, alcohol sales, as you saw recently uh, some schools adopt that policy. So I think that's a continued challenge. The days of trying to pack in uh, Michigan, trying to pack in a few more seats so they could beat Tennessee, and then Tennessee packing in a few more seats, and everybody's uncomfortable, but you got 107,000. Those right. days are gone. You, you've got to make it comfortable. And I do think there's a lot that um, college football can learn from the NFL from a fan experience. But the issue is uh, some of the infrastructure of those stadiums in the NFL are designed to have places you can go lounge during halftime. You can go have a mixed drink or you can go have sushi rolls. I mean, last professional sport I went to, I had a sushi roll. How bizarre is that? So, um, no, I think that that's, that's the challenge. I don't know if they can completely change it. But the good part is, Chris, you've still got the passion of, hey, this is, this is my school. I've supported them. My grandfather supported them. Right. But, Dave, don't you think it's virtually impossible at the college level? I mean, you talked about the stadiums. Uh, there, is a, there is an excitement. There is an encouragement to get a new stadium in the NFL. I mean, it is like 
the thing to do. They're going to uh, they're going to uh, renovate four hundred fifty million dollars of Superdome again. Um, getting a new stadium in the NFL. There's no way anybody's taking a wrecking ball to the big house or to the horseshoe or Kinnick Stadium or you know Camp Randall. So it's kind of difficult to make those stadiums that were built and expanded to make them modern. I mean, it is, I think, a challenge, and they're doing it to make it like more Wi-Fi friendly and all that stuff. But I, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm certainly, it's not my bag, but, you know, I think architecturally it's, it's, I don't know if it's impossible, but there, it, there's, it brings a whole lot more different challenges to take an old stadium that was built in some cases in the early 1900s, 1930s, and make it more modern. I mean, you can do some of it, but I think there's a limit to what you can do. Whereas in the NFL, they just they get new stadiums, and uh, that's kind of how they – can you can you imagine kind of renovating the Cotton Bowl and all that? I mean, no, they just go and get a new stadium, and it's it looks different. And I think that's part of the charm of college football is you can sit there, and it, you may have renovated it, but you're going through the tunnel at XYZ University, and that's something that if you're at Iowa and you come out, you just you just went through maybe not the exact same place because it's been renovated, but you you've you've been there where the namesake of the stadium played game, Niles Kinnick. And you know, I think that's part of the charm of college football. And by the same token, the difficulty of making a new stadium. That's why people are having these standalone football operation centers. Ideally, in a perfect world, you make your football operations center almost connected to your stadium where you got everything in one place. But good luck on campuses, you know, to try to do that when you got stadiums that were built long before modern technology and things that we have today. Um, Agreed. I'll tell you the, the happy medium that athletic directors have found. It's make the mega boosters happy. I got off on the yes. wrong floor. I got off on the <laughs> wrong floor one time going to the press box. I had no idea at Neyland Stadium. I can't even remember what it was called, but they had prime rib. They had oh, yeah. seats. They yes. had everything. I don't yes. know in that lower bowl if you can make all those people as comfortable as at home, but those people were pretty damn comfortable yes, in the in the, the and, rich and- part. And that's where they can get from the NFL because the ideal NFL stadium is like 60000 with a whole bunch of luxury suites because that's all corporate. You're right. And it doesn't serve the everyday fan. But you just mentioned it, Neyland Stadium, a lot of them doing that. Those, those suites are big, and sometimes people get together. Most people can't afford that. It's usually corporations that, you know, can spend, you know, 250 grand or whatever, you know, they, they cost a year. That's, that's a pretty healthy penny, but it is, in some cases, a tax write-off if the economy is good enough to do that. And, yes, that is special where you got your private bathroom as your prime rib. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. I know this, that um, just by example – uh, and a guy that does it because I've been there, uh, but like in the NFL, Robert Kraft has at every home game, he has it privately catered. I mean, you can go there and it has the 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 ribs and lobster and it's it's about um, it's about one hundred fifty one hundred seventy five thousand dollars spread each home game that he pays for just for the. Um, the chefs for the, for the meals. And he has a different, different guests in 
you know, every week and it's dignitaries and people and things like that. Yeah. I think having that where you can sell that is another revenue stream to your big boosters, but you got to be able to sell that out because it's costly to build. And in some cases you got to get it, you got to get it sold before you even, you know, build it. But no, that is a good point, but that doesn't serve the everyday fan though. No, it does not. <laughs> who's, still in, who's still in a seat that's like 16 inches wide. Uh, coming up, uh, we will bounce around the Big Ten. Lots of eligibility and uh, injury issues. So uh, we're getting close to game week for the Big Ten. More after this, you're locked on Big Ten football podcast. He's Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. You are locked on Big Ten football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back. You're locked on Big Ten football podcast. Podcast, boy, a bunch of eligibility news, some good, some bad. Let's start with Wisconsin senior wide receiver Quintez Cephas. He is back with the football program after a sexual assault charges, and um, it appears as if it's a matter of time until he will just be uh, a part of the team. Your thoughts? Well, listen, it's something that they've been waiting on for some time. They have been universally supportive of this young man. Um, it was uh, obviously the charges were dismissed. They believed him. Everybody in the Wisconsin family coaches, players wanted him back, but they've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for the decision. Uh, obviously he's back with the team and now it's just a matter of, you know, getting them, you know, ready to go for the start of the season, but everybody's excited to have him back. And that was big news. Um, and, uh, certainly timely news for Wisconsin staff and Paul Chris, uh, probably about uh, three or four weeks too, too late, but, uh, he is back with the team. He's a good player and, um, certainly, um, uh, I think needed for this offense. Our cornerback Marquez, uh, Beeson, Illinois. Mm. I hate to see a young man who gets on campus, highly touted, and then suffers an early injury that can really sideline a career. We hope he bounces back and everything is okay, but knee injury, he's out for the year. Oh, and we're talking we're talking about a four-star kid, best player in that recruiting class. Um, you know, he's done for the year, you mentioned it. Uh, immediate starter, impact player for them. You know, no one can deal with, I mean, everybody deals with injuries, and, and, and it's tough, and it hurts everyone. But, you know, for poor, for poor Wisconsin, for poor Illinois, um, this, I mean, they don't have guys like that. They they don't have another guy like that they can line up. That's that's really unfortunate for the young man and unfortunate for an Illini team that I'm still looking to find some wins on their schedule. Maryland, uh, running back Anthony McFarlane, uh, mispracticed due to uh, illness, and uh, he's obviously a big-time player for them, so they need him back as soon as possible. Yeah, he'll be fine. It sounds like it's just something minor. Um, you know, I, I – think they're going to obviously play them against Howard. Uh, it's a game that they'll probably be able to play some young guys too. So again, they don't have the, the Texas start like they've had past couple of years. Um, he's a good player. We've talked about him. Anthony McFarlane Jr. Um, watch him this season. Uh, I don't know how many games Maryland's going to win, but he's a guy that gets it done when everyone knows they're going to run it with him and he finds a way to come out and uh, make plays after play for them. Purdue redshirt senior running back Tario Fuller with a broken jaw. I got to be honest with you, Chris, of all the injuries I would not want to have, that has to be top five on the list. 
yeah, difficult, tough to tough to breathe. Um, and it's going to sideline him for some time. And you know, you've you've got to breeze through your nose, obviously, a lot when you're playing ball. But um, there there are times, obviously, you need the aid of, of having a uh, a jaw that's not wired shut. And uh, certainly you worry a little bit nutrition wise, you inevitably lose some weight. Uh, there are ways obviously they can feed you, but it's not the same as you're going through your normal diet and your appetite. So, um, this will sideline them for a while. There's no doubt. There's, I worry a little bit about their running backs. I think their offense is conducive to score points and move the football mainly because they spread you out and they can work the, Pass short passing games is an extension of the run game, but um, you know I worry a little bit about their depth at running back in terms of playmaking ability. Um, but you know, and, and of course, this is I think going to be another good offensive year in Sindelar, but um, they're going to have to score a bunch of points again. I think that is your Locked On Big Ten Football Podcast. We will talk to you tomorrow. Have a fantastic day, everyone. For Chris Landry, I'm Dave Hooker.